This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, March 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride man dies in Trout Lake Avalanche. Family threatens school district with legal action. A day in the life of a miner with Vinton Cole and a mountain weather forecast. Telluride lost a member of its community on Thursday. Devin Overton died in an avalanche in the Poverty Gulch area south of Trout Lake. He was 29 years old. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, a Helitrax helicopter was flying in the Trout Lake area on Thursday afternoon when they spotted what appeared to be a fresh avalanche. Helitrax was reporting seeing some tracks going into a slide area but none coming out. That's Susan Lilly, public information officer for the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office. They on their own started an aerial beacon search and picked up a signal, landed their helicopter, and they were able to locate um, the buried victim. And uh, Search and Rescue was, meanwhile, organizing a mission, and they went in and assisted Helitrax in the recovery of the body. According to the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, Overton was buried under approximately six feet of debris. The San Miguel County Coroner's Office says they believe Overton was booting up for his second lap when the avalanche broke above him. Lily says Overton was an experienced backcountry snowboarder and had the necessary gear for being in the backcountry. The backcountry is unforgiving. It offers a lot of extreme adventure, uh, but it also offers extreme danger. And we are uh, just saddened, terribly saddened that this um, adventurer lost his life. Overton is the fifth person to be killed in an avalanche in Colorado this winter. He is survived by his grandmother, Fari, his sister, Rachel, and her two children, and his parents, Greg and Nancy. Over the past several years, schools and school boards have become the site of contention. COVID regulations and mask mandates led to contested school board elections. School districts have also been battlegrounds when it comes to discussions surrounding race, LGBTQ issues, and mental health. Now, districts across the country are facing challenges from parents claiming they have broken the law and are liable for damages. Recently, the Telluride R1 school district found itself in the conversation. Last month, Gabriella Mormon, a mother in the Telluride School District, sent a letter of intent to Superintendent John Pandolfo and each of the Telluride School Board saying she would file a claim against their public official insurance policy. Pandolfo says the district had been receiving questions about its insurance policy for several months. When we first started getting questions about bonding and, you know, um and you know what is our coverage what are you know what is what are our policies everything else at that point i started saying okay i think i understand what this is about and so when this actually came into my inbox i was like okay not a big surprise i would have to say my first um, concern was this has myself name number one and then our five board members name two through six my first concern was I don't want to have to share this with my board members because number one, um, they work really, really hard. They are elected officials, but they are volunteers. They don't get paid anything. And this has some very specific pieces in there that sounds like very personal threats um, against your house, against your you know 
various things, and we're talking about people with families and everything else. The letter states that Pandolfo and the school board implemented school ordinances and mandates without authority and have violated their oaths of office. It lists a number of places where there are um, rights injured, such as the Colorado Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Vestment of Political Power, the Colorado Constitution, other other sections of Article 2, inalienable rights, religious freedom, equality of justice. In the notice, Mormon says she will file a claim against the district if it does not comply with a number of requests. Pandolfo makes sure to note the letter of intent is just that. It is not tied to a current lawsuit or claim against the school district. So where is it going to go? It could go absolutely nowhere. It certainly has um, my board's attention in terms of, you know, again, what this means for, I would say, um, the world of education and our ability to, to do what we do. Demands in the letter include removing mask mandates, The school district lifted its mask mandate when public health lifted it for the county earlier this year. Halt all forms of COVID-19 propaganda concerning how dangerous COVID is. Halt coercion and pushing critical race theory by any name, whether it be social emotional learning. Um, Halt all promotion of gay, transgender clubs, information and or LGBTQ agenda. Halt all promotion, cooperation, collusion with the San Miguel Resource Center or its subsidiaries on all school properties under the use of social emotional learning, mental health, sexual education, or for any other purpose. And removal of all, quote, obscene books from the public school system. The letter says Pandolfo and the school board have participated in conspiracy, extortion, racketeering, genocide, and treason, and owe up to $3 million. KOTO reached out to Mormon for comment. She did not reply by broadcast deadline. According to Pandolfo, the district has not and is not planning to change any of its practices based on the letter of intent. We're always willing to reflect and review upon what we're doing and how we're doing things, but but in terms of this specific notice of intent, I don't feel like there's anything in here that is pointing out things that we've done wrong that we now need to do differently. He adds the district is taking the letter seriously, but he's disappointed. It's taking away attention from all the things the school district has going on. I feel like being in this building last night until late, um, we were actually doing... Uh, interviews for the Telluride Elementary School principal position. Um, At the same time, there was the me and my uh, VIP dance going on in the cafeteria. There was a discussion going on in the Palm Theater about um, suicide prevention. There were uh, teams coming in and out of practice, both in the building and out of the building. Um, So to see our, you know, our school as the vibrant place that we want it to be after a couple of years of, again, major disruption and things like what we just talked about now and unfortunately kind of, you know, derailing us from really focusing on that. Um, That's what I'm thrilled about and that's what we all want to be talking about and spending our time on. The Telluride School District will hold its next board meeting on Tuesday, March 22nd at 5.15 p.m. The meeting will be held in the Black Box Theater at the school and on Zoom. The district will hold a district accountability meeting on Monday, March 28th. You can't touch this. You can't touch this.
touch this. Telluride High School had its first lacrosse game of the season over the weekend. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Fintan Cole brings the latest. This is Fintan Cole on your sports update. My lacrosse team just had a game, row game, against the Crested Butte Titans and won 4-3. to three. I got a few close sh- catches one time, but I, yeah, I got a few close catches one time, but it didn't end up in my sticks, so, yeah. And the Titans tried to come back, but we, but we ended up pulling it off. So we're 1-0 in our league overall, and we, and we have some news for the basketball team. They lost to the Sanford Indians 44-29. to They're out of the playoffs after, a, after another successful season so far and going into the playoffs. And two seniors graduated, but the team is mostly made up of sophomores. So the basketball team is going to be... So the basketball team is going to be off the charts next year. Girls lacrosse and girls soccer will be coming up next week. That's it for this week. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. Nothing beats a great trail in the summer, and Ridgeway State Park is working to revamp its trail system. According to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Ridgeway State Park is considering creating better connectivity between sections of the park and connecting more campgrounds to trails. It is also looking to update signage around the trails. The park also plans to create a track chair program to make the area more accessible. But in order to know exactly what will come next, CPW is looking to the community for feedback. The department has created an online survey about trails in and around Ridgeway State Park. The survey looks at current use and conditions and what the community would like to see in the future. The public is encouraged to complete the survey at bit.ly slash 36A capital WM8 capital V. The survey is live now and will be open until April 8th. With the help of storms in late December, Colorado snowpack and year-to-date precipitation in the river basins remain near normal. That's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Natural Resources Conservation Service. With that said, precipitation was below normal for much of Colorado in January and February, especially in the northern part of the state. The Laramie North Platte Basin saw the least precipitation in February, with only 42% of normal. The Arkansas Basin fared the best, with 112% of normal. And officials note due to several years of low summer precipitation and high temperatures, there will likely be lower stream flow heading into spring. For statewide snowpack, Colorado is at 95% of the median, the South Platte Basin is the highest at 103% of median, The Yampa White Little Snake Basin is faring the worst, at 86% of median. The combined San Miguel Dolores Animas San Juan River Basin is at 98% of median. 
When it comes to reservoir storage, statewide storage is at 75% of median. The combined San Miguel, Dolores, Animas, San Juan River Basin is at 64% of median for reservoir storage. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is having ripple effects across the globe. That includes in rural southwest Colorado. Natasha Erlinson and her husband Todd live in Montezuma County, but the two met years ago in Ukraine. Todd was a missionary there at the time, and now he's a pastor in Cortez. By now, Natasha has been living in the States for more than 20 years, but she grew up in the city of Kharkiv in eastern Ukraine, a city that has been the target of heavy Russian attacks over the last few weeks. And just a few days ago, her parents, Volodymyr and Luba, still lived there, but they had to escape the city and make their way across eastern Europe by car as refugees. Now they're safe in Germany, preparing for the last leg of their journey, a flight to America and eventually to southwest Colorado. KSJD's Lucas Brady Woods sat down with Natasha and Todd to talk about their family's experience. First of all, you know, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. I just want to say, and I'm also, I just want to say I'm so sorry about what your family is going through. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, not something that many people have to go through. Natasha, how, how are your parents doing? They're doing better. Um, they got out of Ukraine. Um, it took them a really long time because the commotion and the congestion on the border. So first they had to get out of Kharkiv. Um, and that took them four days of travel. Yeah, normally it would be a one-day travel to get to western Ukraine. Um, so that was the first really hard step for them to accomplish. And then once they got to west of Ukraine, um, where the Carpathians Mountains are, um, they spent the night, couple days and a couple nights there with my brother, and then they braced themselves for the border crossing. Um, it's a risk to stay, it's a risk to go, and you just have to decide and go for it. Um, and they did, and, I'm, and, and that brought me a lot of relief, knowing that they're at least they're out of Ukraine at this point. What, what did they see in Kharkiv? Oh gosh, what did they not see? Well, um, when we first talked with them, kind of day one of day the invasion, one. her parents talked about, you know, they could see missiles going through the air from their apartment windows. They could hear explosions happening throughout the city. Yeah. Uh, the next day they, you know, they were went down into an underground parking garage. And for the next week, That's they would they hear, were. yeah, they were yeah. down there with several other families. And they would venture out to try to you know, get water, food, um, but the background was you know explosions and gunfire. Yeah. So Kharkiv got hit really hard, and and I know many people have seen it on the news, and 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 it's painful for me to see because like the downtown, those are the streets I walked to my school. Um, you know, I I can barely recognize the buildings, the streets, the you know, to see the subway stations full of people sh seeking shelter. Um, you know, it, it, it's my hometown, and it's so surreal and hard to believe that this is happening in the town size of Chicago. You know, imagine if a two million people town like Chicago is being bombed. Um, 
and people are seeking shelter. That's what I so hard to grasp. Um, Will they have a place to go back to when this is all over? We don't I know. don't know. So the apartment building next to them, we've heard that it got hit and it was on fire, probably ruined. Will their building be next? I don't know. Will it be still standing? Is it still standing now? They had 15 minutes to grab some clothes and documents. And, and that's it. There, I mean, imagine in your 70s having to move to another country. And granted, I mean, we're very fortunate that we're here so they can come to us. You know, they're coming to family. Yeah. Um, you know, daughter, we'll son-in-law, grandkids them. will help take care of them. Yeah. But to start over with literally the clothes on your back. Yeah. You know, her mom said the one thing she regrets is not grabbing more family pictures when they left. Yeah. Probably, you know, will never get to see them again um and just the uncertainty i think is another at least for me the, the difficulty like we don't know if they'll ever be able to go back looking looking forward what are your hopes for the situation that russia will leave ukraine and the and war will the stop. war will end and that ukraine will be able to rebuild and become you know stay an independent country um, it's, this is ridiculous. It's senseless. And it's one man who's got a supersized ego and who doesn't care about what anybody else says. Mm -hmm. And um, he's, I, I believe he's delusional and maybe even a bit psychotic. Um, and I think the whole COVID and isolation yeah. kind of intensified this problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think he has a grip on reality at yeah. all. So they need to they need to pull out and and leave Ukraine alone. Yes. Um, and I would love you know again how exactly I don't know, but to see the rest of the world, you know, be able to help Ukraine rebuild. Mm -hmm. And and they will. I mean, they. <laughs> I, I heard an interview um, uh, last week for a man, a Ukrainian man, and the reporter said something about. You know, you guys must be so terrified and so worried. And he's like, don't underestimate Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. We're tough. And they are. I'm married to one for 23 years. They're, <laughs> they're tough. They're going to they're gonna rebound and they're going to be, um, be stronger than they were before. And I think this, in the long run, is going to unify them and help them, mm -hmm. you know, be strong. But um, yeah, just they need Russia needs to leave, stop, and leave. The war needs to stop. Yeah. Colorado's economic forecast is improving despite rising gas prices and inflation. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, state lawmakers are expecting to have more than $3 billion to spend this year than their last budget. The positive economic outlook is welcome news, but economists say uncertainty about the pandemic and the war in Ukraine could change things. David Hansen is advising lawmakers as they craft a budget. The war really promises to exacerbate many of the challenges already facing the recovery, putting upward pressure on prices uh, with shocks to energy and commodity markets, uh, injecting new uncertainty uh, in the world's supply chains. 
Hansen says inflation is also a risk to the economic forecast. Lawmakers are finishing up their budget proposal and could start debating it as soon as this month. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Saturday should be sunny with a high near 50 degrees. Saturday night, expect mostly cloudy skies with a low around 30. Sunday, snow showers are likely during the day and into the night. The high is in the mid-40s with a low around 20. This has been the news for Friday, March 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Wendy Brooks, Stephen Collins, Nicole Champagne, Elizabeth Bruce, Becky Cullen, Bruce French, Beth and John Kelly, Nick Kennedy, Donna Martirana, John Macy, Brewster Shaw, Dylan Sloan, Coors Wright, Margie White, Mandy Miller, Jennifer Morgan, Kim Montgomery, Kurt Moe, Duncan Scott Lancaster, John Knowles, Judith Ingalls, Hawkeye Johnson, Wally and Nancy Hall, Michelle Hansard, Angela Gusa, Irma Dressy, Kirk Merlin, Jean Frankenstein, Janet Humphreys and Mark Izzard, Larry Holmgren, Sherry Hirsch, Neil Matthews, Jen Parsons, Robert Peter, Sally Russell, and TJ Woodard. Thank you all so much. Thank you.